0: Thank you for joining me on episode 11 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, teacher Jennifer Karcheski shares how she recognizes the uniqueness in her students and how teachers and parents can work together. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast, where we are helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. And I know I say this every time, I'm super excited because I have Jennifer Karcheski, who is a a wife, a mom, a teacher of 13 years, sitting in the studio with
1: me today. And Jen, thanks for being here with me. thank you for having me. I feel really honored to be here and I'm really excited to talk to you about this. um, Something I'm so passionate about.
0: Well, and I I had you here because uh, I'm just going to be blunt. You're very anointed at what you do. That's probably like the best way I can describe just you as a teacher, your teaching style. You have a bachelor's in psychology, which is something you don't see a lot of teachers have. You have a master's in reading literacy. You're a reading specialist. And I had you on today because you're very good at recognizing the uniqueness in your students when they come into your classroom. Now, I know you have two girls of your own. Is there a backstory to that on why
1: you're just so good at at pinpointing these kids? I I think absolutely. Um, You know, I was a teacher before I had my own children, and I was really heavily focused on academics. And, of course, I looked at the whole child. But I think when I had my own children and they started school, things just switched for me. Okay, I saw how both of my girls were so different and unique and how they responded to everything. And so I just started thinking, you know, all kids are so unique in the way they learn and the way they enjoy different things. And when I started teaching again, because I took some time off to stay at home with my girls, I started thinking, how do I want my children to be um, treated at school? Mm-hmm. How do I want their their teachers to really look at them? And it switched for me from totally academic to really thinking about emotional and social well-being. Okay. And so um, there were years where I thought, you know what, for my own kids, I don't care if you learn one thing. I want you to be happy and healthy and excited about school. Mm-hmm. So I really try to think about um, my own students like that. I, I try to remind myself that if they are feeling loved and happy and safe, they are going to thrive in, in right. the classroom. Right. So really having my own children helped me to be a better teacher.
0: No, but you also have a psychology degree. I don't know. I don't know any other teacher that has a psychology degree. And you worked in that field prior yes. to teaching. How do you think that helped you in what you're doing today?
1: I definitely think that helped me to look at all developmental stages okay. and really think about, okay, this is, you know, this is, you're doing exactly what you would be doing, need to be doing at this age. So I think it really helped me also to... um help kids work through some issues at school, whether it be um, some emotional issues or social issues. It really, it really helped me to help students engage and work through some of their social um, Mm -hmm. issues as well.
0: Do you think because of that background, you were able to pinpoint in different kids, oh, you learn different. Oh, you are a little bit more unique than the other
1: I think that definitely does factor into it, and I, I think that it helps me to know how to reach each child, okay. um, some of that background that I learned in my psychology classes.
0: And how in the world do you keep it straight? I mean, you've, you, you have 20 kids in your classroom. They're all different, all different learning styles. How in the world would you keep that
1: straight? I think you just get really good at in honing in on each child mm-hmm. and um, knowing what makes them tick knowing what um, they need from you mm-hmm. I think you just really get good at it I mean you're with them seven hours a day they become like your own children so I think it just becomes really natural and um, something you just don't really even think about you know you get to know them really well at the beginning of the year and you just start to learn what what does this child need from me and really I I pray every year help me be the teacher that I need to be for this this child, for mm-hmm. each one of my children in mm-hmm. my class. So um, I know God is right there alongside me working just to really embrace all the uniquenesses in your classroom because you are going to encounter a lot of different unique learning styles, unique situations, and you just have to learn to embrace it and celebrate it. Now, back years ago...
0: I mean, like the word autism, I mean, you hear that every day now. Mm -hmm. It is an everyday term where 30 years ago, people had no clue what autism was. People didn't know what ADHD was, sensory processing disorder. Dyslexia has been around for a while, um, but I think it was a little bit more taboo. What do you do with those kids that you have in your classroom? Do you find that a little bit more difficult with the kids coming into your classroom that have these different learning
1: issues? No, I think that these learning issues have been around a long time. I think that we just now have labels for mm-hmm. them. So I just like to push aside the labels and just look at the child and see you know, exactly what they need. So whether it be more sensory input or a different type of reading instruction, but I like to really think of the child as just a the child and not really the label. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, using a lot of multisensory instruction really helps with, you know, reaching all of the children in my classroom. Mm -hmm. So I'm not teaching this child that has dyslexia one way and this child with autism another way. I'm teaching all of them the same way, but really trying to reach all of them with my instruction.
0: Do you see benefits in the children that have the different learning styles, the different disabilities? So, if you have a child with
1: ADHD in your classroom, do you see the benefits of that ADHD? Absolutely. I think everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. And I think at the beginning of the year, um, we talk about that a lot in my class um, so our strengths and weaknesses, and how we all learn differently, and how to celebrate that mm-hmm. and to embrace it. So, Maybe uh, you learn best by sitting on a stability ball. Maybe you learn best by standing. Maybe you need a a pencil grip. You know, it's just becomes really natural and a part of our classroom that everyone's kind of doing their own thing and Mm -hmm. learning their own way. So um, I I definitely know that you know kids even see that they have strengths and weaknesses. So Mm -hmm. let's just embrace it and we can talk about it, and then and it becomes just a really natural part of our classroom.
0: Now I know that. Uh, there's a saying that that I've used for years and whatever is inconvenient to you as an adult with that child is going to be their greatest asset themselves as an adult. So that ADHD, that sensory input, that autism or whatever, it may be very inconvenient now. Mm -hmm. But do you see that benefiting them as they grow into adults? Oh, oh, absolutely. And I I
1: would hate for even their teacher to see it as an inconvenience. So, Mm helping children not to see their uniqueness as an inconvenience, but as, you know, let's focus on your strengths and your abilities and let's celebrate those.
0: Do you think that special needs and the uniqueness has changed over the years? I mean, if you've been a teacher for 13, 14 years, how different is teaching from when you first started?
1: I I definitely see more kids with inattentiveness, really. Okay. and I think that they are so used to technology and screens that really finding different ways to engage them is really important. They don't really care about the Chromebooks anymore. They don't really care about screens because they get so much of that at home. Oh, okay. But if you throw out a pile of pattern blocks, they are just engaged for <laughs> hours. So really, we just have to shift the way that we um, engage children and the way that we instruct. I, I know that Children get so much technology, and we use it in in the classroom. But I think maybe um, doing more hands on activities is Mm -hmm. more effective for kids these days.
0: Okay, so you're you're a teacher, you're in the classroom. It's the beginning of the year, and you see a child that is definitely different, Mm -hmm. and the parent maybe has no clue. Mm -hmm. Not because they're maybe trying to deny it. Maybe they just that's what they're used to in that child and they don't realize Mm -hmm. that there is maybe a disability or there's a uniqueness that needs to be addressed, how do you as the teacher approach that? Because that has to be very difficult for you to approach Mm -hmm. the parent and say, I think that there's an underlying issue that we have to address.
1: Absolutely. That is by far one of my least favorite parts of being a teacher. (laughs) It's probably your worst nightmare as a teacher. But it's also one of the most important parts. And I, I do think some teachers try to, you know, uh, steer clear of that, but you're not doing anybody any favors mm. by doing that. I really think it's important to first get to know the child really okay. well and figure out their their strengths too. Because whenever you talk to a parent, you want to you want to um, say, you know, this is what I've noticed, but I also notice these great strengths. And mm-hmm. so, like, we're going to try to dig deeper, like to see how we can help this child. And if you, a parent sees that you're coming from a loving situation and and you care about their their child and you know their child, Mm -hmm. then I think they're more apt to listen to you and to step back and say, you know, I think, you know, she just wants the best for my child. Let's move forward with, Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll trust that she's doing this for the best of my child. So I I think that you do have to approach the topic um, carefully, but I think it's important that you're honest and you just... Are um, coming from a place of love. Do you feel that
0: the parent maybe have has a hard time with that because it's a reflection on them that they feel that oh I've done something wrong and that's why my child is struggling in this area or has
1: dyslexia or you know can't sit sure. still whatever. I th- I think that could be part of it. I think mm-hmm. that could be part of it. And also you you know as a parent you don't want to hear yes. that you know your child is different or unique or mm-hmm. needs some help in learning. You it's it's not you know it's not what you hope for but i think that it's just really important as parents to be open mm-hmm. if you if a teacher comes to you and says you know i i've noticed these things be open that the teacher is really an expert has probably you know seen a variety of different um learning styles and i think it's really important that we um do whatever we can for every child to, to make sure that they are learning the best that they can. Mm-hmm. So whether we need some more um, diagnostic um, testing just to dig deeper and to see that really then leads us to give the best instruction that we can. OK, so now
0: now let's take it the other way. What if I'm a parent mm-hmm. and I recognize oh, yeah. that, OK, my child is different. Maybe I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but I feel that they need an ist of some sort, I feel like they need speak, a speech therapist, mm-hmm. physical therapist, occupational therapist, whatever. How do you, because you've had to advocate for your children mm-hmm. before, how do you, um, from a teacher standpoint, what advice would you give to the parent on how to best advocate for their child? Because not right. everybody's going to have you as a teacher that would maybe listen. There, um, They might come across a teacher that's not willing to listen right. and they really need to fight or they need yes. to advocate. So what advice would you give to the parent? I
1: say you you don't stop, you go and you don't stop, <laughs> yeah, I mean you are you go to the teacher, and if that doesn't help, and the teacher doesn't move forward, you you go to administration, and then you could even get outside um diagnostic test mm-hmm. testing, but i I say you don't stop, okay um you are the parent, you know your child better than anyone, if you sense anything mm-hmm. it's you' it's probably something you right. know. There, yeah and so I would say you just fight Mm -hmm. for your child
0: Mm -hmm. and there's different and you know depending on where you're listening from right now there's different organizations like where Mm -hmm. we're from uh for my kids personally I called uh what's called TBA ISD Mm -hmm. here in town and those were the ones that came in and they you know you have all the is you have the psychologist and the speech and occupational therapist and all those people and they come and they evaluate your child and then you meet with um for an IEP meeting, an right. individual education plan, which for a parent is the worst meeting like on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, because you're surrounded by all these people who do want what's best for your child. But you're sitting there and you're listening mm-hmm. to everything that is not right with them. And so uh, if a teacher can come in and say, no, 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 these are the, the, these this are the strengths, strengths this of is, this, mm-hmm. you know, just because you have dyslexia doesn't mean you're doomed. There's actually strengths to Absolutely. the dyslexia. There's actually strengths to ADHD. Okay, I'm just going to get into it. I want to know your perspective, of the difference between boys and girls, because I know you have girls, but you mm-hmm. do very well with boys. And we live in a culture today that says, oh, nope, boys and girls are the same. Right. And oftentimes, and I read a quote somewhere that says we're living in an age in school where we're treating boys like demented girls. We're we're looking at them and we're wondering why are they not acting like girls sitting Mm -hmm. down and, you know, being quiet and coloring. And Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit, especially with your psychology background and just all your years of teaching, what's that difference between boys and girls and how can we embrace that difference?
1: Well, I do. I do see that, um, you know, there's there's differences and there's even, you know, obviously there's differences in the ways some girls learn as opposed to other girls. But I also never want to make an excuse like, oh, he's just a boy. He's yes. just busy because he's a boy. I mm-hmm. that I do not do that. I think that if you are, you know, especially in early elementary, you are moving and you're teaching and you're engaged and you're doing hands on. I don't think you see much of that boy versus girl okay. difference, if mm-hmm. you are really using like the multisensory ap- approach, because mm-hmm. if a child is, um, you know, needing more sensory input and they need to touch and feel, then just sitting and listening is not going to uh, be effective for them. And I don't think that's effective for any child, really. I mm-hmm. don't think we should expect girls or boys to sit. Quietly and mm. color and okay. listen for an extended amount of time. So really, not that I treat the boys and the girls the same, but I do like to make sure that, you know, they're all getting the movement that they need and the instruction that they need in a Early elementary classroom.
0: Well, and I like how you said that, that it's uh, oftentimes we hear about the boys can't sit still, mm-hmm. but I like how you said it shouldn't be boys or girls that are right. sitting still. Exactly. Like we need to be having both sexes move. Address what multisensory is. Somebody may be listening and have no clue. I know that's mm-hmm. a teacher term. Yes. Um, what exactly is multisensory?
1: Just using all of our senses to learn something. So people say, oh, I'm a visual learner. I'm an auditory learner. Really, we're all of those. Okay. So using all of your senses to learn something. So if you see it and you hear it and you say it and you touch it, you're going to learn more and learn better than if you just use one of those senses. Mm-hmm. So using all those senses. And I teach my students about that. You How when we say something and we hear it and we do it and we're touching things that we retain more information so you know when they look at me and think I'm silly for having them shout something out loud I'm I explain to them you know you just said it you just did it you just heard it and you saw it up on the screen so you're you're going to probably retain that better than if you just if I just showed you three plus two equals five you know Mm -hmm. if we're doing more with all of our senses then we learn and we retain so much more.
0: Okay. Now you said something a few minutes ago, excuses. Mm -hmm. Tell me, do you have kids that do try and give you excuses or even parents that give you excuses? Mm -hmm. Well, my kid's dyslexic, so they can't do Mm -hmm. that. Or my kid has ADHD, so they can't do that. How do you address the excuses?
1: You know, I first, I I, I have to... show them. Nope. You can do that. Dyslexia is just a part of how you learn, but mm-hmm. we can't, you can do everything. You can do anything. And so I think the more that they b- build their confidence and they see that they can, the excuses go away. Okay. So, um, I, I do have that with children they will say like, Oh, I can't, I can't read that cause I'm dyslexic. So it's, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, you know, it's kind of cute, but then, you know, if you show them you can do it, mm-hmm. it, the excuses fall away. It's just kind of a defense mechanism usually Mm -hmm. um, for students because it's difficult. Sometimes they don't want to try to do it, but when they see that they're successful, the excuses kind of just fade away. So what's your favorite part?
0: about being that teacher that sees the uniqueness in child in, in a child and wants to find solutions for them. Because you're the type of teacher that I see where when a kid comes in and they're different, you get excited. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, I, yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite part about all of that? I, you know, I I just think that, you know, I don't think of it as a challenge really. I think as a unique opportunity mm-hmm. that I can be that teacher for them that really maybe helps them to to see their uniqueness as a gift, um, see that God has created us all exactly how he wants us. And so and God doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I just really think it's exciting that we can all celebrate everyone's differences mm-hmm. and that how, like, look at our classroom. I like to, you know, look at each other and talk about how, like, exciting it is that we're all different because how boring would it be if we were all the same? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So do you have, just off the top of your head, do you have a success story, like your favorite story about a student from the past?
1: I, there are many, um, and my passion is really reading. So I I love to see kids come in and, you know, maybe they're really struggling with letter sound or just retaining words. I love to see them as they grow and they realize, oh my goodness, now I'm just reading words or Mm -hmm. I'm able to sound out these. I mean, it's, when they realize they're a reader or when they see themselves as successful, that is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Those are just, and that happens every year. Yeah. So that's really exciting. That Those are really exciting times when a student is like, I'm a great reader. Or when they look back at their writing from the beginning of the year and then they look at it at the end of the year and they're like, wow, I'm like an amazing writer. (laughs) Look at what I did at the beginning of the year. And that happens all the time. So I just, I love to see the kids and their confidence rise and how they see themselves as successful.
0: Okay. Well, last question. I think with the age of social media, it's really kind of made our culture a little bit more angry, Mm. I think. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of sarcasm, snarkiness coming from parents, coming from teachers, how what would be the best best advice you think about teachers and parents working together versus just butting mm-hmm. heads and in a sense just
1: disliking each other? Mm-hmm. I mean, does that
0: make sense what I'm saying
1: it It does um first of all, get off social media <laughs> right <laughs> delete all your accounts. you know it's unique because at the school that I am at I teach I feel like parents and teachers really work well together. Yes. So I, I don't really experience that. Um, And I, I see that, you know, I think that parents at our school know how much we love their their mm-hmm. children and how we want the best for their children. So um, I think that, you know, if you come from a place of, um, you know, I just want the best for your child and, and love their child, then I think, you know, even parents that are guarded, sometimes if they can see it and they know it's genuine, Okay. They let their guard down and um, are a little bit more willing to work with you. Mm-hmm. But really, I haven't experienced that that okay. much. OK. And I think part of it, too, is
0: I mean, the school that you attend, you don't have as many kids in your classroom mm-hmm. and you're not as a, uh, restricted in certain areas because you do teach at a Christian school where I think at a public school, there's a lot of restrictions mm-hmm. with these teachers and they're more worn out mm-hmm. and they have a lot more stress and, uh, and a lot more students. So I think it might be a little bit harder for them And the teachers to be able to get on the same page and communicate. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. And I I have taught at public schools and I do see that maybe, you know, um, certain parents think, you know, this is your job. You take care of it. You know, don't ask me to help. Don't ask my advice. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, this is why I send them to school because you're the teacher. So, you know, in that that sense, then you do just become the teacher and Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, do the best that you can with. The student, and if the parent doesn't want to be involved, then you know mm-hmm. you you do what you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the more you can work with your um, parents, and the parents can work with the teachers, I think you know obviously that's the best scenario mm-hmm. to have a good relationship with parents and teachers is obviously the best for your child and student.
0: Okay, all right. I know I said last question earlier, but no, one more question. <laughs> Say a teacher is listening right now and they're just really struggling with all the different learning styles in their classroom, all the different um, IEPs that mm-hmm. they, I mean, I've had teachers that are like, I had nine IEPs right. this year. And so I've got nine kids in my class that need individual education plans. I have these that are on ADHD meds, and this one has sensory issues. What do you say to the teacher on how they can get organized and the resources that they can get a hold of to help them? Right. Um, that's
1: really happens. That happens. And so I would say that, yes, acknowledge that it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge you need help. Talk to um, other teachers, collaborate with your friends at school, talk to your administrators. I think that you need to become like, you should be a lifelong learner. So you're, for me, I'm always looking at blogs. I'm always reading other teachers posts, trying to get as much Resources, tools, information, um, pray a lot. <laughs> really, it, I there have been times where I just felt like I did not know where to go with this child. How do I help this child? And, you know, I prayed consistently, and lo and behold, some strange idea popped into my head. And so yeah. it was like, I've never tried that before. I'm going to try that, and it helps. So I just think it's really important to acknowledge, yeah, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Having all those IEPs, you have all these kids with different learning needs, you have to ask for help and you have to um, look for tools and solutions on your own. Um, And so I just think it's really important that we continue to grow as teachers and continue to learn all that we can because... The bigger the toolbox that you have, the more that you're going to be able to help these kids.
0: And I think we're living in a great day and age. I mean, it's harder because the family dynamics are harder. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, as many nuclear families anymore. and But we have more resources mm-hmm. available for us than we've ever had before where we... 20 years ago would think, wow, that child is really naughty. Well, Mm -hmm. no, actually they have sensory processing disorder and they just have an underlining issue that needs to be addressed. We know that now, or we didn't know that years ago. And I think that is the benefit. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Jen, for coming in and just in sharing just your uniqueness and how you're just out to help kids.
1: Well, thank you so much. (laughs) It's my honor to be here and my pleasure. And I thank you so much. And I thank you for being Um, A wonderful mom that advocates for her (laughs) children and just, it's just, this is really um, an honor to me. Thank you. Yes, absolutely
0: that was jennifer karcheski or as she is known in my house mrs k but thank you for joining us for that episode of the unique on purpose podcast i love seeing how god has gifted teachers to be able to point out a student's potential and then help raise up the next generation don't forget to share download and subscribe remember you were created unique on purpose you are loved and because of christ you have been made worthy Join me next week as we discuss infertility with Rose Rodriguez.